Let's continue in our messages on Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we are working our way through the book. And today we're at verses 1 to 6, Revelation chapter 20. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless abyss, the pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years, that's the millennium, were finished. And then after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now, verse 4 of chapter 20. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. The Greek word literally is hatcheted, beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. It is absolutely one of the grandest themes in all of the Bible. The first resurrection. The resurrection of the just. Because it holds out the high and happy destiny of every child of God. And it says, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Because in the end scheme of things, God must raise the just and reward the just and repay the just. And this explains many, many passages in the Bible which help us to understand when and how that will happen. Blessed and holy, the scripture says in verse 6, is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. Thank God. Because I'm a Christian, the second death, the second judgment, the second resurrection have no power over me. For there is coming a day when the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and death has no more dominion and we shall be raised to be with him and never be separated again. Mother's Day was started by a woman by the name of Anna Jarvis in 1908 in Philadelphia as a way of honoring her mother. By 1914, President Woodrow Wilson had uh, ordered that a national holiday be set aside on the second Sunday of every May, quote in his first proclamation, 
to work for the well-being of the home as the fountainhead of the state, end of quote. So it's a time for us to give honor and to give thanks to the mothers in our lives, our mothers and the mothers of our children. I don't mean to put down any other women, and I, I want to honor all women in a sense today, but we do want to honor our mothers. Do you know that the average woman who is married for 25 years and has an average family will walk 14,000 miles during 25 years of marriage and motherhood just shopping? 14,000 miles. Isn't that nice to know? That's why you, never, you, you don't see many older mothers out. I, I, I walk every morning, and I see young women out running and jogging and walking, but I, I rarely see, well, I got, yeah, there's a Marie Wagoner. She gets out and walks. Evidently, she doesn't do enough shopping. <laughs> the average woman spends four months of her lifetime asking her husband and children what they want for supper. <laughs> <sighs> Four months trying to figure out what that man wants for supper. Now think about that. And all the times my wife said to me, just as I, you know, my mind's on getting out and getting to the office and getting to, getting to my job. And the last thing she says, not honey, I love you, but what do you think she says? What do you want for supper? Honey, I haven't been up since 6 o'clock thinking about what I want for supper. Don't ask me on the way out. Four months of her whole lifetime. Today is the second busiest day for AT&T long-distance calls in all the year. The busiest is Christmas Day. 122 million calls will be made today to mothers. 3% of them will be collect to their mothers. <laughs> will you accept the charges from your son, Pete? <laughs> Can you imagine that? What a, what a grandmother's day. I heard about two teenage boys who were talking. One said, you know, I'm worried about my folks. And the other one said, why is that? He said, Dad spends all his time working for us to take care of the house. Mom spends all of her time cooking, cleaning up the house and getting the clothes ready. I'm afraid they'll escape. <laughs> so we make 122 million calls to our mothers because we're separated. Now, some of us fortunately can go in town and see our mothers but do I have some good news for you? One day, the Lord Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we shall ever be with the Lord. And we will never again be separated from God and never again be separated from family. And if you had a Christian mother, you'll never, ever, ever again be separated from that mother. The, the whole doctrine of the resurrection fascinates me. I want to show you just four, four things in this passage. First, look at the resurrection itself. The resurrection. It is very clear. This is, to me, it's not an ambiguous thing. There are many, many people who think that there is a general resurrection. But you have to spiritualize passage after passage. Listen to me. The resurrection encompasses the first resurrection 
of the just and the second resur resurrection of the unjust. There are two resurrections encompassed sometimes in one reference, but so defined and so delineated that you have to walk over all kinds of principles of Bible understanding to say that there is one general resurrection. Follow with me in your Bibles. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 22. Listen to what Jesus says. He makes a distinction in Matthew chapter 22. When the Sadducees are arguing about the resurrection because they didn't believe in it, Jesus makes a very clear statement. When they're trying to mock him, they say, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? The woman who had married seven brothers. They all had her. And in verse 29, Jesus said, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. He doesn't defend it. He simply states it and proclaims it and assumes it. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Turn to John chapter 5. Now he delineates the same resurrection. John chapter 5, verse 28. When they're questioning him about who he is, he says, do not marvel at this, that the Father has given judgment to the Son. See that? John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. And in verse 29, he draws a clear line of distinction. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There it is. Chapter 6, verse 40. Turn right over. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Believers. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Luke chapter 14, verse 14. Don't turn to it. I'll just read it. When they, he tells them, go out and call the poor and the maimed and the blind to your supper when they cannot repay you. And then Jesus said, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, here's the scenario. The age we're living in will come to an end with the rapture of Christ, uh, of the church, out of, out of this world. There'll be a great tribulation period, and at the end of that will come the battle we just studied last week in Revelation 19, Armageddon. And with Christ, when Satan is put into that abyss and is locked up, chained, we studied that for a thousand years, with Christ will reign those who came out of the first resurrection, the resurrection of the just. There's a separate resurrection for all the saints of God. That's very clear in the Bible. Over them, the second death has absolutely no power. I may die once physically, but I will not die twice and be eternally separated from God because I belong to Christ. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let me give you the picture of how this works. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In this great passage, 
Paul gives an explanation to what Jesus clearly states, but he spells it out. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But now watch this. Look at the next verse. Each one in his own order. Tagma. It means troop, battalion, company. When the resurrection happens, it will come in stages. Just as the second coming of Christ has two manifestations, his coming for the church and his coming in judgment, the resurrection has two manifestations. The resurrection of the just to life and the resurrection of the unjust in judgment. In the, next, in the next few verses, we'll see what the second judgment is. It's the great white throne judgment. And Paul goes on to say, verse 23, each one in his own order, tagma, Christ, the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming, and then fourth, take out comes, that's not in the Greek text, then the end. Now, what Paul is saying is literally there are four parts to this resurrection. First, Jesus was gloriously raised. He is first. Christ was raised, and he is the first. But there's something else that happened. The first fruits, there were others raised when Christ... Look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 the Bible teaches us in verse 51, Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and were coming out of the graves. After his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, if you don't understand 1 Corinthians 15, you won't understand this. You know what happened? When Christ was raised, there were some first fruits, the saints who were in Sheol. Sheol was a place of departed spirits, just and unjust. Half were in paradise where the thief on the cross went. Half were in Hades. And Christ allowed some of those to come out of the graves as proof that there was a resurrection later in the time, and they're the first fruits. Then Paul said, Christ, the firstfruits, they that are Christ that is coming, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, when the Lord shall descend from heaven, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's because they have six feet farther to go, Dr. Torrey said. <laughs> and then we will be raptured, rapio, caught up with the Lord. So now watch the order. That resurrection points to what will happen in this passage, Revelation 20. Christ, the firstfruits of the saints who, died, who had died before the cross were released, then they at his coming, and then comes the end and the last resurrection. Say, so where in the world do you get that picture? Okay, hold your hand here and go back to Leviticus 23. When you get to Leviticus 23, there are seven feasts that are laid out for Israel in the Old Testament. Do you remember them? Genesis, Exodus, what's the next book? 
Leviticus. Boy, I'm so glad you know your Bible. First, in verse 4, there's the feast of the Passover, representing the death of Christ. Secondly, in verse 6, there is the feast of unleavened bread, which represents the burial of Christ. The unleavened bread was hid in the home. Third, there's the feast of firstfruits, representing the resurrection. The fourth feast Israel was to celebrate annually is in verse 15, the feast of Pentecost, which represents the coming of the Holy Spirit. The next feast is the Feast of Trumpets in verse 23. Represent the coming again of Christ. And the last feast is in verse 33, the Feast of Tabernacles, which represents the glorious reign of Christ in peace for a thousand years. Now, the first fruits went like this, the, the Feast of First Fruits. On the Sabbath after Passover... On the first after the Passover, the last the Passover was the last day of the of the Passover feast. On that next first day, the farmers were to go into the fields and gather a handful of the first sheaves of the grain. And they brought it into the temple and gave it to the Lord as a sign that the whole harvest belonged to him. That's why. I tithe on the first day of the week. Somebody says, I don't believe in tithing. It's not New Testament. Well, do you believe thou shalt not murder? That's in the Old Testament too. <laughs> I believe in tithing and more than tithing. I believe in giving far more than the tithe if we can. Amen? That's just a place to start. But the first fruits is like our gifts, but it's also something else. They brought the first fruits and offered it to the Lord. Then in the summer, they got the main harvest. And then in the fall, the gleaners went around the fields and gathered what was left. So there were three aspects to the feast of the, uh, of the, uh, of the sheaves and the first fruits. And that's where Paul got his picture. Christ came out of the grave and he brought with him some of the saints like the first fruits when the farmers brought some of their grain. Later in the main harvest is when Christ comes. And finally at the end, there's the resurrection of the unjust at the very end. And so you have the four manifestations of the resurrection. I'm glad God saved a little special place for his saints. I think the saints of all ages are going to come. And... Uh, we have there before us in heaven four and twenty elders representing both the church and Israel. And God has given them a place to rule and to reign. But thank God one of these days his voice shall speak and there will be the resurrection of the just and the reward of the just. Now secondly, look at the resurrected in this passage. The resurrected in Revelation chapter 20 are, what are they called? Blessed and holy in verse 6. Blessed and holy. That's the name. And who are they? Look in verse 4 and 5. They are the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. And who had not worshipped his beast, the, the, the Antichrist or his image, nor received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. 
and they ruled and lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They're blessed because they're saved from the second death. They are holy because they are saints. 1 John 3, 3 says, When we are resurrected, we shall see him, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that's what we'll be like. Now, this group who sit on the thrones comprise all the saints of all the times, the saints of God during the, the uh, church age, and then there's a special place for those who during that tribulation time lost their heads, gave their lives, the martyrs. I suppose that's true because there's no higher price you can give to serve Christ than to give your life. But also, there are those who have refused his beast or his image and refused his mark. They stood tall and straight, the resurrected, and so they shall live and reign because, verse 6, death has no power. There are basically four Greek words that are translated power. One is dunamis, from which we get dynamite. Another word is uh, the word kratos, from which we get the idea of ruling over a state or a nation. Another word is energeo, from which we get the word energy. But it's not any of those words. It's the fourth word. It is the word exousia, which is always used about God's power to raise the dead out from among the dead. Death has no exousia, authority over them. I'll tell you what, if we did not have the teaching of the first resurrection and there was just some kind of a general resurrection, it changes my whole view of prophecy. But the concept that I'm going to live and reign and you're going to live and reign with Christ and the saints of all times are going to live and reign with Christ, that concept is very clear. Death has no more authority over me and it is proven because I am, I am raised separately from the second death and the second judgment described in Revelation 20, verse 11, 12, and 13, and 14. See, in verse 14, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, but it has no power over us. Now, that leads me to a third observation, and that is about the rule there are two classes of saved even. The Bible teaches that when we are resurrected, we shall stand at the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards for the things done in the flesh. Now turn, hold your hand here and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in 1 Corinthians 3, you can see what that judgment is going to be. In verse 11, Paul starts his passage. This is the judgment of believers. How do I know that? Watch, verse 11. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. This is a judgment of work, not salvation. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, our work will be tried. I don't wait till I get there to find out if I'm saved. If I weren't saved, I would not have been resurrected with a just and go to the judgment seat of Christ. And the fire 
the fiery eyes of Christ will touch, test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he receives a reward, and that reward is reigning with Christ. At least that's a part of it. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, an unfaithful Christian, he will lose his reward. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Did you know it's possible to get to glory and lose all your rewards? It's possible to get to heaven and be saved, but your rewards will have been burned away. A whole lot of unfaithful Christians who don't honor the Lord on the Lord's day, they don't honor the Lord with their witness, they don't honor the Lord with their money, they don't honor the Lord with their families, and the work will be tested, and he will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, where Paul talks about judgment, that we shall rule and reign and judge the world. When will that be? Over here in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus promised to him who overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my Father's throne, even as I am set down with my Father. You know, the Bible doesn't describe a lot about the millennial reign. We can go to the golden messianic passages of the Old Testament. We know the lion will lay down with the lamb. We know that enmity between creation will be re removed and Christ will reign. But there's one thing, we don't have it all worked out. I don't profess to know everything about it. All I know is what the Bible teaches. We shall reign with Christ and it shall be granted for us to sit with him on his throne and rule with him. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. I don't know exactly how that's going to happen or what that means. Anybody here want to volunteer to be governor of North Carolina and in the reign of Christ? But here's the best part. At the very end, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. In 1 Thessalonians, when Paul describes the coming again, he describes it as changing our attitudes about death. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who fall asleep in Christ, Christians who have gone on to be with the Lord. For one day the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And then he said, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we'll never be separated from Christ again. We'll never be separated from Christian family again. And let me remind you, moms, the only thing you can take to heaven is your family. You can't take your retirement fund. Did you know that? You can't take your books. You won't take your computer. The only thing you can take to heaven is your family. But so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. I don't sleep in the grave when I get off of this earth and out of time and die. I go into the presence of God 
And there I wait, as far as we're concerned on earth. I don't think there's any waiting in heaven because there's no time in heaven. But anyway, there I wait from earth's standpoint for that resurrection when all of us shall receive bodies, even the souls of those who were beheaded shall receive their new bodies. God shall gather up and give them resurrected bodies. I don't think we'll just be restored in that time to the place of Adam. We'll be higher than Adam. I don't think we'll just be restored to the place of angels. We'll be higher than angels. When we receive our resurrected body, we won't just be restored to a place of Lucifer. We'll be higher than Lucifer. When we receive our new bodies, we'll be just like Jesus. And he will grant for us to sit down with him at his father's throne just as he sat down at his father's throne after he was taken back up into glory. That's why Jesus said, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as also I overcame and am set down with my Father. For me, that is the grand destiny of every Christian. What more could you want? God has reserved a very special place, a very special time, a resurrection, and the resurrection of the just is separate from the resurrection of the unjust for judgment. And it is a time to give a reward and a time for him to give us a throne and a time for us to sit down and rest from our labors on this earth and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Now, I hope that you get the, the scenario. I'm trying to over and over again give you Christ is coming for the church. There'll be a tribulation time. There's the battle of Armageddon at the end. There is judgment, and there, there are those there, in this first resurrection. There's Christ and those that he allowed to come out of the grave as a promise of more resurrection. There are those that are raised like the main harvest in the middle of the summer, and there are those at the end time. The resurrection happens in those kinds of stages from the Scripture's point of view to explain to you who all is going to take part and how it will happen. And that is why Paul says, Christ, the first fruits, they that are Christ's is coming, and then the end. Do you remember the late 60s? Do you remember how, what traumatic times they were in this country? For some of us who are old enough, in Winston-Salem, there were riots, bombings. John and Ernest Womble's business was firebombed up, you know, on Liberty Street. There was a lot of unrest, student unrest. Billy Graham was invited to speak at the UCLA campus in 1967. I will never forget this. 8,000 students gathered in the pavilion there to hear what he had to say. There were demonstrators, marchers, hissers, booers, jesters, waving signs, making fun, disrupting his speech. They were concerned about things now, but no one was speaking to them about things eternal, like death and how to get ready for it. And Billy said, as I came on this campus, I met the mother of one of your beauty queens who was severely injured in an accident. And as her mother stood with her, and she lay dying in the emergency room, she looked at her mother, and she said, Mother, you taught me how to drink. You taught me how to have safe sex. 
but you never taught me how to die. You never taught me how to die. The only time the pavilion grew quiet was when Billy Graham said that. I want all of you children to know how to die. You die looking Jesus squarely in the face, knowing that because he was raised, because that day after he was raised, after his resurrection, there were the spirits of just men who walked in the city. And when he ascended on high, that's what Ephesians chapter 4 says, he took captivity captive. He led them out of Sheol in paradise where the souls of the just have been kept. And he took them to glory and he let them sit down with him at his father's throne. And he's coming again. And if you know how to die, he's coming for us. And he's coming again in the tribulation saints, those who lost their heads, those who were beheaded for Christ and never took the mark of the beast. They will join in that resurrection. And then at the end time, there will be a few more until the resurrection of the just is complete. And then comes the second resurrection and the second judgment. Are you ready to face Christ? Has anybody taught you how to die? That's why we preach repentance and faith in Jesus Christ so that you can be forgiven. You can know you're going to heaven. You can know you have a part in that first resurrection and you can stand and say, blessed and holy are they who have a part in that first resurrection. For death has no exousia. It has no authority over you. Amen? Boy, I don't have to fear it because death has no power over me in Christ. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me in prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God. Teach us the clear truth of the scripture that we have a great hope in the resurrection because of Jesus. Dear God, if there's a mother here who feels she has not done a good job of teaching her children how to live or how to die, speak to her. If there's someone who doesn't know how to face death in Christ, I pray that you'll draw them to the place of repentance and faith in Jesus so that they might have eternal life and be blessed and holy and death will have no more power over them. In Jesus' name, amen.